Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hey, friends. Bill Press here. Hope you're enjoying the podcast. I want to be sure you know my new book is out. Uh, not so subtle. The title, Trump Must Go. The top 100 reasons to dump Trump and one, maybe, to keep him. It's available anywhere books are sold. Um, best place to get it is go to our website, billpressshow.com. Special discount there for ordering the book and a way that you can add your own reasons to dump Trump. Let's do it now. Everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. It is called The Storm of a Lifetime, and she is heading our way. What do you say, folks? On a Wednesday, Wednesday, September 12. Hello, 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 hello. Good to see you today. It is The Bill Press Show, and we're coming to you live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital and our studio on Capitol Hill, uh, where senators found out yesterday from uh, Mitch McConnell that they're going to be here not only the, the rest of September, but he's going to keep them here for the month of October, making it more difficult for Democrats to get out and campaign uh, to hold on to those important Senate seats, but also making it more difficult for Republicans in trouble like Ted Cruz to get out there and campaign as well. So that little thing could backfire on Mitch McConnell big time. So much uh, to talk about in most of the news consumed, of course, by uh, Hurricane Florence. Hurricane Florence now expected uh, not to hit land until and in the Carolina areas, both South and North Carolina, up into Virginia. Not expected to hit land until uh, maybe 2 p.m. on Friday, but uh, the winds and the rains will arrive before that, lashing the coast and the inland areas, which is why people continue to evacuate, at least those with any sense do. Uh, there are some hardheads who will stay put, as always. Uh, anyhow, lots to talk about. We want to hear from you on the news of the day. Send us your comments on Twitter, uh, at BP Show, at BP Show. And of course, Donald Trump says, you can count on him to save us from Florence. After all, look what a great job he did in Puerto Rico. <clears throat> yes, we did see the job you did in Puerto Rico, Donald Trump, which is why we don't trust you anymore, period. Uh, again, your comments welcome on Twitter, at BP Show. We'll jump right into all the news of the day, but first... This is the Full Court Press. All righty, just a couple of other stories making news. Well, Labor Day is past us, Bill, and you know what that means. It's the holiday season. It's Christmas time, practically. Oh, yeah, put up yes, the... indeed. Yeah. Put <laughs> Who up says the... there's a war on Christmas? Right. <laughs> well, Amazon announced that they if are... I hear Christmas music. No, I'm not going to play Christmas music. 
But it's I mean, not going to happen. Like if I'm walking through Macy's on my way to the White House, which I get off the Metro and do that. You know what I mean? I you're hear Christmas music off. before Thanksgiving. It's, you're not. Oh, you'll be hear some, it before Thanksgiving. There's going to be some broken windows, maybe. <laughs> well, here's one. Here's one thing that you should plan on. Because are, are you a live Christmas tree guy? Or are you a fake tr- Christmas tree guy? Live. Okay, I'm a fake Christmas live. tree guy. I have been since I was a kid. Well, here's yeah. what you can do if you want to get a live tree. Amazon announced they are going to start selling fresh live Christmas trees starting in November. They're going to be selling uh, trees that have been cut, with uh, sitting in within 10 days of being cut. So uh-huh. you get a relatively fresh tree that they'll send, ship you with free shipping if you have a Prime membership. A seven-foot Fraser fir from North Carolina will cost you $115. They will also be selling live wreaths and live garland as well. That's unusual for Amazon to try to get into that business, you know? It I'm sure not is. sure how, the, how that'll go. It should be I mean, put I mean, out. Look, Pro Flower sends flower, right? I mean, they're sure. the best getting flowers, so uh, I guess you could do it. But One piece in this uh, BuzzFeed story that they point out, 25 to 30 million real Christmas trees are sold every single year. And so it would make sense that Amazon would try and get a piece of that, even if you get a fraction of that. That's, that's pretty big business. So uh, if you want to... Get the live Christmas tree, but don't want to actually have to go out and haul it. Amazon will send it to you. I know it's um, heretical, but I think I'm getting to the point where I think there's some things that Amazon should decide to let other people let sell. Let other people do? Yeah. yeah. I'm you know? Really, I'm, not, I, I'm not opposed to that. By the way, one, uh, one final quick story. Uh, Colin Kaepernick announced that his jerseys, which Nike are selling... Uh, well, they have sold out. In fact, they sold out in less than a day. And on top of that, Nike announced that their online sales are up 31% since they debuted the Colin Kaepernick ad. So, yeah, and good for business. Thought, no, absolutely. And people thought that was going to backfire, right? And they thought that they'd be sorry they ever did that. Uh-uh, that was brilliant, brilliant marketing. This is the Bill Press Show. Yes, Donald Trump promises to do as good a job on the East Coast to respond to Hurricane Florence as he did in Puerto Rico responding to Hurricane Maria. No, please, please, Donald, just get out of the way. Stay home. Hey, what do you say, everybody? Great to see you today. It's a Wednesday. It's a Wednesday, September 12th. And here we are at the Bill Press Show, and you are part of it. Good to have you with us as we roll out to you from our studio on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., our home away from home. And uh, But we really, we start here, but we join you everywhere in this great land of ours, everywhere around the planet. You can reach us online, of course, on YouTube, youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. We're here with you in the world of television on Free Speech TV, coast to coast, and in Radioland, joining you uh, statewide in Indiana on Indiana Talks, where Joe Donnelly, Joe Donnelly Senator, uh, up for re-election. Good man continues to lead in the polls there, uh, even in a red state that Donald Trump carried. And we join you out in the state of Illinois as well, all over the Chicago area on the great WCPT, the progressive voice of Chicago and the surrounding suburbs. So much to talk about, and uh, we will bring you the news of the day wherever it's happening. 
but also look forward to hearing from you and your take on the news of the day, as always, uh, at BP Show. Yep, let's start with Hurricane Florence. It is uh, a monster. Uh, category, category 4 already predicted it could reach Category 5. It's expected to hammer particularly South Carolina, North Carolina, into Virginia, um, but there'll be rain and wind felt all way beyond that. Uh, and it looks like right now the storm may just hover off the coast and just pound the coast, then hit the coast on Friday. They're talking about Friday at 2 o'clock, which is a little later than we thought yesterday, uh, and then move inland and hang inland and batter uh, batter those coastal areas and inland areas for a few days as well. So this storm is uh, it's already already being felt, and it's going to continue to be felt and be around for a long time. Um, millions of people have evacuated. Those roads from the coastal areas are now one way out. Nobody allowed in other than emergency vehicles. But, Peter, as we talked yesterday, you're from uh, Charleston, South Carolina, which it looks like is going to be, man, one of the principal targets. Yeah. Um, There's some people going to hang in there. Yeah. I mean, look, I I, I spent a lot of yesterday texting with family and friends that are still down in South Carolina. It was it was interesting to me, right? Like, I, I follow a lot of different uh, restaurants in Charleston on social media, and a lot of them have already closed. They yeah. closed yesterday, and they just said, don't bother. But then there are others that said, you know, we're we're mm-hmm. going to stick it out. And, and it's, it's sort of – Charleston's a weird place in that one of its biggest – uh, parts of the economy is its restaurant and bars. Scene. Oh yeah, I mean that's totally. a huge part of it. I mean it's a hospitality town. It is, and so and great restaurants, d- phenomenal great restaurants. restaurants, and and so for them to close up shop, imagine for almost a week. I know. Imagine what they're losing. It yeah. is is really really hard for them to fathom. Some people are going to ride it out. Um, you know, having come from there, I've ridden out a couple of hurricanes. Um, I rode out. I was there for Hugo. Uh, we rode that out. It was devastating uh, for a lot of parts of of the Low Country. Um, but what I don't think that people understand about this storm is, while Hugo was very powerful and it was the most powerful hurricane that we had seen outside of Florida, uh, the amount of rain that's coming, yeah is is staggering because it's again these storms these days i mean i I hate to put it in this in this in these terms but like hugo by comparison not that big of a storm it was a very powerful storm but it wasn't the size and the scope of florence Florence, and what's going to happen is as you mentioned it's going to get up to the coast and sort of park it Mm -hmm. and what's going to happen is we're going to have three four five days of deluge Right. Constant rain. And if it rains for an hour in Charleston, it floods. Mm-hmm. And yeah. we're talking about like several days of, of heavy, heavy rain. Right. So you, you got to be careful. So already, already we got a problem with rising sea levels. This is just going to compound it, compound it, compound it for sure. Again, uh, Donald Trump speaking about this yesterday in the Oval Office. He got a little briefing on the hurricanes. He had the charts behind him. First of all, he said that. Uh, you talk about how big a storm this is going to be. He talked about the states are going to be impacted. And then um, it is he's full of superlatives for how big this storm is going to be. The places that are uh, 
in the way and in the most jeopardy would be Virginia, North Carolina, South Carolina, that area. And again, they haven't seen anything like what's coming at us in uh, 25, 30 years, maybe ever. It's tremendously big and tremendously wet. Ooh, there's an insight. Oh, it's a hurricane. It's tremendously big. It's tremendously wet. He went on to say a tremendous amount of water. Tremendous amount of water. I mean, yeah, everything. It's almost he, like. He only knows seven words. No, it's almost like he's bragging about how big the storm is. This is going it's to be. It's tremendously big and tremendously wet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I've produced bigger storms than any president ever <laughs> in history, and I'm proud of it, he says. But he insists, he insists that we are ready. We've done our homework, we got our stuff together, we are ready. The safety of American people is my absolute highest priority. We are sparing no expense. Uh, we are totally prepared. We're ready. Uh, we're as ready as anybody's ever been. We're as ready as we were in Puerto Rico, he says. Think, yeah, right. I think, the, I think the Puerto Rico was an incredible, unsung success. Oh, is that right? Yes, the oh Puerto Rico, God. where he went down there and said the 16 people died. You should be you should be proud of yourself that there weren't a greater loss of life. Uh, the final official death count was 64 until a couple of weeks ago when we learned when the University of Pennsylvania did their exhaustive study that there were actually about 3,000 people died, and most of them died after the storm had passed, which proves that FEMA and the Puerto Rican authorities didn't do such a good job of responding. And, of course, at that time, we remember Donald Trump excused the poor performance of FEMA by saying, after all, it is an island surrounded by water. Big water. <laughs> Big water. Big water. By the way, uh, this tweet yesterday from Senator Chris Murphy, I think, he says, uh, as he starts the tweet, I mean this seriously and not as a political dig. If you're in Florence's path and considering writing it out, your president just said that a hurricane response where 3,000 people die mm -hmm. is his measure of success. Get out of there. Which, <sighs> yeah, <laughs> you know, I, you should not be feeling very confident that Donald Trump knows what the hell he's doing. He uh, tweeted this morning uh, on the same uh, note, quote, just a few minutes ago, we got A pluses. Oh, my God. He, we got oh. A pluses for our recent hurricane work in Texas and Florida and did an unappreciated great job in Puerto Rico, even though an inaccessible island with very poor electricity and a totally incompetent mayor of San Juan. Oh, my God. We are ready for the big one that is coming. So he can't, even in the wake of a hurricane, in, in the eye of the hurricane, he can't resist still slamming the mayor of San Juan. Picking a petty fight. By the way, who maybe the mayor of San Juan, not the governor of Puerto Rico, right? And Puerto Rico, I think if you ask the people who come from there and who live there, it's not totally inaccessible. <laughs> I, um. Uh. <laughs> They and and by the way, they are American citizens too. Yes, which of course Donald Trump didn't know until uh, Florence hit. Uh, looking at uh, some of the uh, some of the elected officials who are doing a good job, I think, uh, alerting their people and getting ready. Uh, the governor of North Carolina, uh, Roy Cooper, says 
We're talking, Peter, you mentioned this point earlier. When we're talking measuring about the rain we can expect, don't talk about inches. Rain in some places will be measured in feet, not inches. And he says, don't try to think you can be the hero by riding it out. This is not a storm that you need to try and ride out. It is one of those storms that is historic and maybe once in a lifetime. Even here in Washington, D.C., the mayor predicts a serious flooding. I mean, after all, with the Anacostia and the Potomac, we're already seeing flooding. Uh, She says more is coming. We know that there will be flooding, heavy rain and wind, uh, and likely power outages. By the way, yesterday when I was driving home, I go up the George Washington Parkway, which goes right along yep. the uh, Potomac mm-hmm. River. And because of all the rain we've had here over the last several days, it's already up onto the walkway. There's a little runway that goes all mm-hmm. the way to Mount mm-hmm. Vernon. Yeah. Is uh, it really? It's flooded. Yeah. That walkway was flooded yesterday. And that's before we get but, the hurricane. Right. Just from the that's just from the rain that we had over yeah. the last week or so, yeah. right? Yes, uh, and uh, Defense Secretary James Mattis, I saw some pictures of this yesterday. Um, you know, there's so many uh, military bases down in South Carolina and North Carolina and Virginia. I mean, Norfolk is what the largest, one of our largest military bases, naval bases, and it is one of the areas where already there are the most serious problems with flooding as a result of climate change, uh, sea, 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 the rise of sea levels as a result of climate change. And so they've had to move um, ships and planes out of the area that should be uh, that will be impacted by Hurricane Florence. Here's uh, the defense secretary yesterday. We've sortied or are in the process of sorting our ships and aircraft out of the Norfolk area and out of the Carolinas. By the way, that was that was always when I was growing up. That was always the surefire sign that that things, things were, were about serious, to get real. Yeah. 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 So yeah. they're flying the jets, they're flying the planes to bases uh, inland uh, in the Midwest, most of, uh, and uh, and getting the ships out of there, uh, either north or south, uh, I guess. Uh, and by the way, one final note on this: as um, the hurricane is coming, and everybody's counting on FEMA to do the right job, uh, Jeff Merkley, Senator from Great. Great senator from Oregon uh, yesterday revealed uh, some documents that show that in the middle of all of this, FEMA, which needs every dime it can get, FEMA has given $10 million to ICE. They've given $10 million of their hurricane budget. Now, they said that would just be used on PR and not for people on the ground. But the point is $10 million out of FEMA, $10 million less that FEMA will have to spend that went to ICE. And they gave it to ICE, and the language is very clear, so that ICE can use that $10 million for their detention facilities, for the cages, in other words, where they are holding still 500 kids. So it's a double, double outrage, right? FEMA giving money away that could be used to protect the people of North Carolina, South Carolina, Virginia, or wherever, could have been used in Puerto Rico, perhaps. FEMA giving that money away and ICE using it to detain even more kids for their detention centers. Just the, the, the ultimate insight to the whole insult to the whole process. You know, this is oddly Good for Jeff Merkley. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, it's that's an, a complete embarrassment that that's what we're doing with that money. And it's oddly reminiscent of something that we talked about several years ago when Hurricane Katrina hit, because what George W. Bush had done was sort of 
loop FEMA in with the Department of Homeland Security. Mm-hmm. They didn't get their the like cut the budget, cut the budget completely, so they didn't have the funds that they needed. Yeah. And it's like Republicans don't take these types of things seriously. They just don't until they actually need them. And look, I, I, I hate to turn this into a political point, but you're talking about states that voted for Donald Trump that are about to get rocked by a hurricane. And for all these people that talk about government is bad, drain the swamp, they don't yeah. care about yeah. all these government workers that are living high on the hog in their eyes, the government could really, really help them and that's $10 million less that they don't have to help them because it went to locking up kids in cages. Yeah, right. And and notice that this is one government just giving another one agency, giving the other agency money, because probably if ICE went to Congress today and said, are we want $10 million to build bigger cages, they wouldn't get the money. Yeah. It's the only way they can keep it going. It's disgusting. Good for Jeff Merkley again. Uh, primary yesterday. Boy, the primaries keep rolling through. We're almost uh, t- uh, tomorrow. <laughs> Uh, 13th is a New York primary. I think that's the very, very last. But uh, next to last was uh, yesterday in New Hampshire. Uh, a couple of big surprises. Molly Kelly will, the, will be the uh, Democratic candidate for governor uh, in New Hampshire, joining, God, about a dozen women, um, Democratic women, running for governor uh, nationwide. Uh, they're very strong chances. And but the most important thing is in the um, maybe the, the, the most attention to New Hampshire's congressional primary up there. It's an open seat. New Hampshire won uh, the first uh, congressional district of New Hampshire. Uh, in the Democratic primary, there were three candidates. The DCCC had sponsored a woman by the name of Maura Sullivan, who was a an Obama administration alumna. Um, she comes from Illinois. She moved from Illinois to New Hampshire to run with the support of the DCCC. She raised a lot of money. She was the establishment candidate. In fact, the DCCC originally approached her and suggested maybe she run for Congress from Virginia against Barbara Comstock, or maybe she run from her home state of Illinois, Uh. and then she said, no, I want to run in New Hampshire. So they said, okay, we'll Give you money to run in New Hampshire. So she came in as Is that the, how this works? That DCCC appointed candidate. She was up against a, a young guy, a state legislator, and a, a, a openly gay man, gay man by the name of Chris Pappas. Uh, and Chris Pappas trounced her in the primary. It was it was again similar to Alexandria Ocasio Cortez or Ayanna Presley knocking off the not in this case an incumbent but knocking off the establishment-favored Democratic candidate, Chris Pappas, last night, thanking his supporters. Let me start by thanking each and every one of you who poured your hearts and souls into this campaign, who knocked on doors, who made phone calls, who talked to your friends and neighbors about what's at stake this fall. I'm humbled by the support that you've given our effort. Yes, indeed. There was a third candidate in the race. It was Mara Sullivan, uh, Chris Pappas, who won. Uh, the third candidate in the race, uh, his last name was Sanders, Levi Sanders, who is, yes, the son of Bernie Sanders. Uh, Senator Sanders declined to endorse his son. Oof. <laughs> That's a little awkward. A little awkward, I think. Exactly Thanksgiving's going to be weird this year. <laughs> Bernie said he didn't do it because he doesn't believe in uh, dynasties, Di- dynastic right, politics. Sure. Mm, okay, Whatever. but anyway. <laughs> 
uh, Levi Sanders ended up with 2% of the vote. So uh, not exactly following. Although Bernie didn't win every time he ran either. So It was the superdelegates that did him in, Bill. <laughs> you can understand. The, the Democratic machine worked against rigged. Levi. It was, it was, it was rigged. a rigged election. <laughs> we all know it. Right. So right, we go. we'll be watching that uh, seat up in Hevature. And by on that point, uh, you know, I was, I was looking over um, the congressional landscape last night. And I got to tell you, there is there's something big going on. And people ask me, well, tell me about you know, what shape the Democratic Party is in today. And I got to tell you, yeah, there's some differences. So there's still some tension. But I think the Democratic Party is in great shape today. And here's one of the reasons why. You know that great women's march on Washington the day after Trump was inaugurated? Well, yeah, I was out there. I was part of it. It was incredible. But here's the thing. The Women's March didn't end. The Women's March continues. If you look around the political landscape, and where are these women marching today? They are marching. They're not marching. They are running. They are running for office. It is incredible the amount of women who are running and winning in the primaries in the primaries today. Uh, and Dave Wasserman from, um, from the uh, Cook Political Report uh, t- took a look at some of the um, some of the numbers. Uh, t- let me just t- let me just bring you up to date here. In November, Americans could elect more than one hundred women to the House for the first time in history. It's just a surge of women candidates. Think about that: a hundred new women in the House. Uh, th- this a hundred women in the House this November, and this is happening. By the way, again among Democrats, not among Republicans. And what was the number one motivation for all these women to wake up and say, I'm going to go out and run for office? It was the election of Donald Trump. Since the election of 2016, Emily's List has signed up 40,000 women who want to run for office. City Council, state legislature, Congress, U.S. Senate, governor, whatever, 40,000. So in January, between 30 and 40 new women are poised to enter the House, shattering the previous record of, remember, there was the year of the woman back in 1992 when 24 women were elected. This year, between 30 and 40 will be elected. Uh, And most of them, again, are Democrats. Of the 254 non-incumbent Democratic nominees for the House, 50% of them are women compared to, or 50% of the women are Democrats compared to only 18% for Republicans. Today, there are 61 female Democrats and 23 female Republicans in the House. After November, Democrats could expand their women their ranks of women by more than a third, and Democrats, Republicans, will shrink their number of women by a third. So, and again, what's the motivating factor? It is the election of Donald Trump. And think about some of the women. They are extending. We've talked so much about Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who knocked off incumbent Joe Crowley uh, up in Queens. Last week, we talked about Ayanna Presley, Massachusetts 7, on the Boston City Council. She'll be the first African-American woman uh, in Congress. She doesn't have a Democratic opponent. 
It's such a Democratic district. She'll be there, and she's the one who had the great slogan, change can't wait. Out in, here's just some of the outstanding women we're talking about. New Mexico, Deb Holland will be the first Native American woman in the United States Congress, ever. First Native American woman. She comes from New Mexico. Her platform is Medicare for All. In Michigan 13, Rashida Tlaib, the first, she will be the first Muslim member, woman member of Congress. Coming from Michigan 13, she has no Democratic or no Republican opponent. It's such a strong Democratic district. Out in Illinois, Lauren Underwood, Illinois 14, the youngest of all the African-American women running for for, uh, Congress this year. She's 31. She's a nurse. Her platform, affordable health care. Up in Connecticut, Connecticut 5, Johanna Hayes, another African-American woman running for Congress. She was the National Teacher of the Year, honored by President Obama in 2016. She will be the first black congresswoman from Connecticut. It goes on and on. And out in Texas, Texas 23, Gina Ortiz-Jones will be the first out lesbian, first openly lesbian, and the first Filipina-American to represent Texas in the United States Congress. She also happens to be an Iraq war veteran. I mean, these, these women candidates are incredible, and there's so many of them. Again, they've all been, I don't know whether inspired is the word by Donald Trump, but but outraged so much by Donald Trump that they decided, damn it, they're going to go out and run for office. And this year, up to 100 women, new women, in the United States Congress. Phenomenal. And that's, and, and that's on the Democratic side. And that's why I feel so good about where the Democratic Party is today. And it's, it's happening. Thank you, Donald. And, and some of the states that you're mentioning, Texas. Texas. Right? Stacey no. Abrams in Georgia. Yeah. Right? Like they, I mean, they're, they're, but, there really is something going on. There is. There is. And by the way, yeah, that doesn't mention, I mean, I just will talk about the members of Congress. Sure. We look for sure. governor. We mentioned she, uh, Molly Kelly yeah. in New Hampshire won yesterday. Um, Janet Mills, I think her name is, is running for uh, governor of, of Maine. Stacey Abrams in, in Georgia. Paulette Jordan in Idaho. Christine Hawquist in Vermont. Christy Nome in South Dakota. Yeah. Across the board. Right. Uh, and the Senate races as well. So, it is uh, it is very very exciting, and uh, so don't tell me the Democratic Party is in such bad shape at all. Democratic Party, the energy, the enthusiasm, the momentum, the excitement is definitely on the Democratic side. Doesn't mean we're going to win every race, but uh, we're looking better and better. And by the way, six months ago, everybody said, "Okay, Democrats maybe have a fifty fifty chance of taking the House, but forget about the Senate. You know, it's not going to, it's never going to happen." Now. Look across the board. Every one of the pollsters, every one of the Democrats, every one of these strategists, uh, like our friend Larry Sabato down in University of Virginia says, uh, Democrats have a excellent chance of taking back the House now. It's almost certain to happen. And now at least a 50-50 chance of taking back the Senate because Joe Donnelly's doing so well in Indiana. Claire McCaskill's doing so well in Missouri. John Tester and Joe Manchin are pretty much locked in. And now you've got states in play we never thought were going to be in play. Not only Nevada and Arizona, but Tennessee and, thank you, Beto O'Rourke, Texas. So things are happening, folks, indeed. 
One thing that uh, does get in the way, however, still is reapportionment and redistricting. Our good friend uh, David Daly, author of Rat Efta, who is uh, the expert on uh, reapportionment and redistricting, is going to join us next to bring us up to date here on the Bill Press Show. On this Wednesday, September 12, we'll take a quick break and we'll be right back. Take the Bill Press Show anywhere you go. Download our free podcast, search for the Bill Press Show on iTunes, and catch the highlights from every show. And we're back with you on a Wednesday, September 12, uh, a waiting for Hurricane Florence to hit the coast. Now it looks like Friday afternoon, but uh, Donald Trump says, don't worry, we're ready. We're going to do as good a job in South Carolina as we did in Puerto Rico. <laughs> uh, that's why we don't want him in charge. Hey, great to see you, folks. Thanks for joining us here. Um, and we are so pleased to welcome back to the studio. Our good friend, author of the book Rat Eft, the true story behind the secret plan to steal America's democracy, all about redistricting, reapportionment, the one and only David Daly. David, good to see you. Good to see you. Thanks for having me back. No, thanks for coming back uh, in studio. Can we've been, as you know, uh, started about a half an hour or so ago. Peter, stirring up. Uh, some comments? Yes, indeed. Plenty of comments already. Don't forget, you can join the chat room, youtube.com slash thebillpressshow, youtube.com slash thebillpressshow. Bruce says, to lose a thousand seats in Congress in silence but gain a small handful back as victory is the new definition of democratic progress. Uh, that is from the chat room. Also, please remember. We're going to get more. I appreciate the cynicism. We're getting more than that back. I, I, I agree. Yes. And uh, I just have and winning back the House is the first step toward putting a big roadblock in the way of Donald Trump. Absolutely. Absolutely. Don't forget, if you go to our website, BillPressShow.com, uh, Bill, you have a new book out, 100 uh, Reasons Why Trump is. Must Go. But as Trump you, must go. As you pointed out, the book is already kind of obsolete in that there are probably 100 new reasons <laughs> since you've submitted since yesterday. your, your yes. book Yeah, of, of why Donald Trump is unfit to be president. We've had some people weigh in. And remember, you can give your comments at BillPressShow.com. Just click the icon of the book up in the top right corner of the website. Uh, a couple of different comments. Uh, his corrupt business practices rob his workers of not only fair wages, but of any wages. Mm -hmm. uh, also, uh, here is one, uh, just one word, Amorosa. <laughs> Amorosa, that is, I guess, a good reason. Uh, somebody else said the summit with Putin was an embarrassment for the whole country. And also, uh, here is one other one. He gets everything wrong from the tiniest details, uh, including the scotch tape holding his tie together during his inauguration, mm -hmm. to systematically dismantling every American value held sacred, like the democracy, free press, free speech, sanctity of life, inclusion, etc. The man hasn't a clue as to what it means to be president, let alone American. Remember, if you have a new reason why Donald Trump must go, go to our website, BillPressShow.com. Click the icon of the book. It'll take you to a page where you can submit your answer and your reason right there. All right. Thank you, Peter. Yes, indeed. Uh, the book just out yesterday, Trump Must Go, the top 100 reasons to dump Trump and one to keep him. And a lot of those reasons are outlined uh, sort of the the Cliff Notes version of, if you will, the executive summary uh, on the back of the book uh, that he should be, as, as Jefferson said uh, in the Declaration of Independence, the first thing before we overthrow the tyrant is to let the facts be known, be submitted to a candid world. That's what was his phrase. And the facts about Donald Trump submitted to a candid world include 
that he should be uh, tossed out for his lies and ignorance, for banning immigrants, for his ridiculous desire to build a wall, for bloating the national debt, for assaulting the free press, for his unwillingness to protect his own citizens, for rigging the census, for assaulting our environment, for destroying our national monuments. It goes on and on. As Peter pointed out, you can add your list. Go to our website at BillPressShow.com, where you can also find out um, all about the book. The book is available now wherever books are sold. David mentioned he saw a nice pile of them at Kramer's Bookstore yesterday. I was blown away yesterday. last night. I was watching the CBS News, and they showed a flash thing. They were talking about the Woodward book in a bookstore, and there was the Woodward book, Fear, and right alongside of it was a pile of Trump Must Go, some big bookstore in New York. So Nice. It's out there. And as I say, it's the compa- to me, it's the companion to the Woodward book, David, because Woodward tells us all about this chaos in the White House, right, and this intrigue in the White House and the people who are trying to save the country from Donald Trump inside the White House. And this book documents the danger that Donald Trump has already done in 18 months and why we can't stand another two months. And we so. have to be reminded of it, right, because because every single day the news gets crazier and the outrages get more insane, and he walks into a 9-11 memorial pumping his fists as oh, if he's yeah. a gladiator oh, enter, yeah. entering an arena. I'm glad you mentioned it. We yeah, haven't seen that yet. And so we forget he's a very about solemn what he's done. ceremony, yes. uh, an, an occasion to mark the, the loss of these and, and, the, and, and to honor the bravery of these people who brought their plane down. And he walks out, and it's like a campaign rally. Right. And he's going, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, it's totally the, inappropriate. The picture that came out yesterday of him pumping his fists like he's Apollo Creed and yeah. Melania next to him, who actually, like, you know, had the usual dead behind the eyes. Yeah. Uh, she did, but she was dressed in black. At yeah. Least. <laughs> yeah. But like she she, she really does care. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> apparently <laughs> she she actually, you know, was was not celebratory the way no, that he was. Right. Like it looks no. like she got the moment right. that he just did not. So, there's the book. David, welcome back. There's another back. reason. Wait. That's another reason. Another reason. <laughs> celebrated 9-11. That's the we knew that I knew the book would be obsolete as soon as it came out. That's why I created this website for you. And there, there we go. We could, every day, yeah. just add reasons. So tremendously wet. Tremendously wet. Tremendously wet. Tremendously big and tremendously wet. <laughs> Tremendous amount of water. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's an island surrounded by water. Lots of water. Big water. Big with, water. <laughs> with sharks that bite or turtles that bite. That's what it was. Uh, you are working on a new book. I am as well, yes. I mean, and I think a lot of it starts with the energy and the enthusiasm you talk about at the Women's March. And I think, you know, it's mm-hmm. it's it's one of the reasons, you know, to to keep Trump, right, is the, is the silver lining of all of this has been the wild amount of enthusiasm and engagement at all levels by everyday citizens to fight back and reclaim democracy. For this, we can thank him. I mean, in yes. a perverse way, right, uh, that he really has, um, I, I said, I don't want to use the word inspired, but no. motivated, maybe, whatever, a lot of people to say, hey, we got to take this seriously and we've got to go off our butts and do something ourselves. And that, by the way, a lot of people are just volunteering, yes. uh, writing checks, knocking on doors, making phone calls, or whatever, but a great number are actually running for office. I mentioned 40,000 women that Emily's List has 
have, have signed up with Emily's List to get their training to run for office. And we've talked about this the before. The Trump bump. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, back in 2016, in North Carolina and Wisconsin, these are, you know, a two swing states that were going to be a fiercely fought over in the 2016 presidential campaign. Exactly half of all of the state legislative seats in those two states went completely uncontested mm. in those years. Oh, uh, this year... You have got Democrats running for every single one of those seats in North Carolina. And, and we, this is a midterm in which, you know, Democrats don't always uh, turn out and do as well. so important. This is happening up and down the ballot. And there's groups like Run for Something who have inspired yes, folks yes. to get out and given them the kits and the tools. There's organizations like Forward a Majority and Flippable mm -hmm. and Sister District that are trying to get resources and volunteers and enthusiasm down ballot, which is where it has to go. Every time I mention the groups, I, I always feel, uh, oh, I know I love somebody out. But you mentioned the few there. There's also Indivisible, Indivisible. Uh, Our Revolution. We mentioned Emily's List, MoveOn.org. They're doing a great job of recruiting candidates and... Um, and funding uh, them and helping yes, them. Yes, yeah, and helping them. So um, look what happened. Uh, you mentioned North Carolina. That used to, that was the case in Virginia before, and exactly. last year, they had a Democratic candidate in every single district. Every in one Virginia, of those districts, and they picked up fifteen districts, one more, and they would have had control of and, the state house. And that one was a tie. Yeah, in that's which right. A, the, the, a the coin one was, flip, the, you know, a coin um, flip decided it. Right, and <laughs> I don't think that there was even the most optimistic observer who thought that fifteen seats was possible, but. You win exactly none of the races you don't go out and compete for. And what's happening right now is Democrats are going out and competing. And when you are, are, are talking to voters, you are bringing ideas and a message and a personality back to districts that maybe haven't even seen a Democrat and knock on their doors and talk to them for some time. This is how you build a party back at the grassroots. So we're looking ahead to 2020. That's when... The new census will be taken and the new lines drawn, mm -hmm. and those lines will be drawn by who's ever in charge of the state legislature, for the most part, yes. still, state legislatures and governors in those states. So, um, and you and I have talked about this before, just bringing everybody up to date. We start out um, way behind because there were 950 or so, of, I keep hearing, but roughly 1,000 legislative seats lost under the eight years of Barack Obama. What's being done to get them back, yeah. to win them back? You were out on the road with Eric Holder, and Eric Holder and former President Obama are supposedly in charge of a big organization that's going to flip some of these back. What's going on? Anything real? Is it all talk? You know, there is a lot happening. We do start deep in the hole. Yes. Um, and, um, and this is because of what happened in 2010. The Republicans had a really strategic plan to win back state legislatures. This is called a red map. It's red the map. redistricting Carl majority Rose project. Carl and Ed Gillespie. Exactly. And, that, and for $30 million, they targeted state legislatures, and they flipped places like Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Michigan, Ohio, North Carolina, Florida, and Democrats have not sniffed victory in these states um, mm -hmm. you know, since then. Um, and uh, we have seen the dangerous policies that have emerged out of those state legislatures, everything from, you know, the uh, voter ID bills to the emergency manager in Michigan that, that helped poison the, the water in Flint to the transgender bathroom bills to anti-labor bills, anti-women bills. Um, uh, there's, you know, real impact uh, when you lose state legislatures and when uh, they are insulated 
from the voters mm-hmm. by gerrymandering. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, the power there to draw these lines can last for a decade. Democrats yeah. have, yeah. you know, until Connor Lamb, Democrats did not win back a congressional seat in any of those purple states this entire decade. And that's the challenge they're facing right now is you have this blue wall out there, excuse me, a blue wave out there, but mm-hmm. there is also a red seawall that yeah. is prepared to push it back. Right. Um, so if Democrats want to win seats back at the table for the next redistricting, which occurs after this, the census after 2020, they need to find a way to win back some of these state legislative chambers in these states. And that's why everything that, you know, run for something and indivisible and flippable and all of these groups are doing to recruit candidates, to run candidates, to try to take advantage of a wave election this year is so absolutely crucial. It's why Obama is endorsing state legislative candidates. It's why it's why Holder is on the road uh, talking about the importance of Democratic uh, governors in Ohio, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Florida, and Michigan. Those are key elections because Democrats may not be able to win back the legislative chambers in those states by 2020 when the next round of redistricting starts. But if they can win the governor's mansion in any of those states, they get a seat at the table and the chance to at least veto bad maps. You mentioned Wisconsin. One of the um, most encouraging things that I've seen uh, recently is that it looks like Scott Walker is in trouble, huh? I, that would be so sweet for Scott Walker to go down in flames. I'm the sorry. amazing just... thing, and I would have never believed this three months ago, it's entirely possible that Democrats could sweep the governor's mansions in those states. I mean, the, the polls show that the Democrat Michigan. in Michigan is up by yeah. double digits. I mean, Rob um, Rob Cordry in Ohio is looking is looking strong. Andrew Gillum, the last three or four polls out yeah. of Florida, has had a three or four point lead. A Tom Wolf in Pennsylvania um, is as solid a Democratic incumbent as there is. Um, it's entire. I mean, Scott Walker would be awfully sweet, but I mean, Walker could be five of five in those in those purple Midwestern, you know, and also Florida um, states, all of which went for Donald Trump could now elect a Democratic governor who would have a seat at the table to block extreme gerrymandering. Right. It would be huge. That would be huge, yeah. And again, how sweet it, how sweet it would be to see Scott yeah. Walker oh. uh, go down after <laughs> what he did to uh, the union members and state workers in, in, in Wisconsin. Yeah. yeah, collective bargaining across the board. It just looks like, it's right. fi- like his reputation is finally catching up with him, yeah. right? Because he staved off that recall election he survived that even though like it was absolutely clear that he needed to go total creature total creature of the uh coke brothers absolutely absolutely and now that to think that he might actually pay a price for all of this so i want to come back to holder and 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 obama i mean have they uh, recruited candidates, identified candidates, raised money for candidates, endorsing candidates? I mean, they're doing all of that. Holder has been aggressively on the road and focused strongly on these key states. I've been out with him in Ohio, um, but he has also, you know, just been in Nevada and Arizona, and Georgia. You know, lots of places where where chambers are flippable, um, and I think that this is what the Democrats are doing that is smart and strategic and that they have not done in previous cycles is they have 
really studied uh, the landscape, and they have tried to invest resources in the places that are, are most important. And there are, you know, a dozen states where you could perhaps uh, take back a chamber or two and at least win yourself a seat at the table. At the table, you right. Know? Um, so there's these uh, key races in Ohio that the Secretary of State of Ohio and the state auditor in Ohio mm-hmm. have a role to play in a redistricting. And Obama has aggressively endorsed candidates for that office. I was at a house party in Columbus, Ohio, uh, just a you know a regular house in a neighborhood, and there's Eric Holder showing up with the hmm. state auditor and the state secretary of state candidates. You know, not the governor, yeah, but they are are understanding the importance of these of these key down ballot offices because they help draw the lines. Uh, and Democrats didn't do that in 2010, and as a result, Ohio is a 50-50 state, and yet their congressional delegation is 12-4 Republican, and there's a supermajority in Ohio State House. Right. If Democrats can break that, it all starts by winning a secretary of state or an auditor race. I want to come back to that, but I see we have some breaking news here, Peter. Well, I just want to I just want to mention this. This goes hand-in-hand hand with what you were just talking about, all the women running for office. You remember a couple months ago, there was a cyclist who got passed by the Trump motorcade? And she flipped Trump the bird. Oh, yeah, right. She lost her job, as we reported. Yes. Well, the, the uh, Washington Post has a story this morning. Her name is Julie Briskman, and she is running for office. <laughs> she has filed paperwork to challenge Susan Volpe, a Republican who represents uh, a district in Loudoun County, Virginia, and she will be on the ballot in 2019. So, Is that district flippable? <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll see. Yeah. We'll see how she flips that district. That's a good one. Yeah, that's a mere slogan. I'm gonna flip the district. <laughs> so back to what you're saying. I mean, to me, it's priorities. I keep telling people, stop talking about 2020. Seriously, I haven't given a thought. I yeah, I've given some thought, but I haven't endorsed a candidate. I'm not about to. Who knows what the field's going to look like? Forget 2020. Focus on 2018. And then on 2018, don't just focus on the Senate. Exactly. Don't just focus on the House. Focus on the state legislative seats and the governor's races. The next decade is on the ballot of this year. And when I saw Barack Obama's list, right, there's some people you wonder, why didn't he endorse that person or this person? But what impressed me was there were state legislative races there. Uh, and they were the key states. Yes. You know, it's looking at at Michigan. It's looking at North yeah. Carolina. Uh, it's looking at Arizona. It's the uh, Wisconsin Senate. It's the Colorado Senate. It's, you know, Minnesota. These are places where Democrats can win and have to win. So what is happening now with, back to get back to reapportionment, what is happening in North Carolina? I mean, mm-hmm. the judges threw it out, and yet the latest is the judges say, yeah, these districts are the most racist we've ever seen, but we have to leave them in place for this time, this this time around? Well, this is deeply frustrating, right? I mean, the the North Carolina case is common cause versus Rucho, and it is one of the clearest examples of a partisan gerrymander that uh, that yeah. happens last cycle. Um, and there are all of these new statistical standards that, that prove it. There are all of these emails that show exactly what the Republicans are doing, and then they just admit it because yeah. you have the legislators saying, uh, sure, I drew a, a, a 10-3 congressional map because I didn't think I could draw an 11-2 congressional map for the Republicans, mm-hmm. and I did it for, you know, pure politics. Um, so uh, 
uh, this case was ready for the Supreme Court last year, um, and and after they punted on the Wisconsin and the Maryland cases, they uh, sent this back to the lower federal court to uh, review it in light of the yeah. uh, decision in uh, Wisconsin. Right. And the as a court there said, uh, nope, that's still a gerrymander. Um, and it's still bad. we want to see something change now because yeah. these maps have been unconstitutional for eight years and you keep running elections on them and I'm tired of it. Right. So the judges actually said, you know, and this is when was back in August. Yep, right. Uh, uh, let's try and get new maps for this year. Right. Um, and I want to see, you know, possible solutions that would do that. A- and this is what's frustrating. You actually have the Democrats in North Carolina say, actually, we're good. No. You don't have to do no. that. No. Oh. Well, why? They said that they feared it would cause confusion amongst voters and make running the election in November difficult. Now, if I read between the lines on that, I say these Democrats think they have a chance of winning one or two of those seats that they haven't had a chance at all decade, and they think they might take it this year, and they don't want to mess with that. Um, If that's the case, that's kind of depressing because we need Democrats to embrace a voting rights agenda, a democracy agenda, a fair maps agenda, and if they're going to be so short-sighted as to hold on to deeply unconstitutional and unrepresentative maps because they think they have a chance in a wave year of winning one or two of these seats and cutting a 10-3 map mm-hmm. down to an 8-5 or a 9-4, that is no way to think about a long-term strategy. Uh, bring us up to date uh, and remind me. So Pennsylvania does have new maps in place, Pennsylvania correct? does have new maps, and if Democrats are able to, to take back the House this year, it may be in large a credit to the fact that the and this was a case uh, mm-hmm. through the state constitution the right. Wisconsin and North Carolina and Maryland cases have been making federal constitution arguments in in Pennsylvania the state the supreme court says that the state constitution guarantees a free fair and equal elections um and they tore up a, a map that republicans had drawn and given themselves a 13-5 advantage in congress that was locked in and completely durable, um, and the new maps ought to be probably nine nine maps. So there's yeah. three or four seats that you know look pretty strong as a result, or or that at least ought to be competitive now. Pennsylvania would could play a very key role very in, in a role. Democrat taking back the house, and uh, Wisconsin under new districts too. Wisconsin or? is not um, the. The lower court ordered right. That's ordered that's this. sort of in the, limbo. The still, Supreme right. Court stated, yeah. and they could have made that decision um, if Justice Kennedy had been, you know, so inclined before retiring. Yeah, they did not dismiss that case. Right. They did not make any ruling on the merit. They simply but punted the, it on the question of standing and whether the, yeah. the people who brought the case actually had a right to bring it. So it's back in the lower courts. And and the lawyers are going through the activity of trying to find a plaintiff in every single district, and it will be back in a year. You know, the that was it'll be back. That was Anthony Kennedy's yeah. opportunity to go out with a blaze of glory yes. and and take a strong stand on and, and this. And instead, 
as you pointed out, he punted. He Were just, we going he, to get the Justice Kennedy who gave us gay marriage or the Justice Kennedy who gave us Citizens United and Bush versus Gore? And, and, that's, and that's the that's, Kennedy that's that the Kennedy we, got. we got. And now we have Kavanaugh, so that the swing vote on any future partisan gerrymandering case becomes Roberts, and that is not good. Th- that's not good. David Daly, so good to see you, my pleasure. friend. Thank People you. can find you, follow you on Twitter at David Daly3, at David Daly3. Good luck with the new book. Thank you. Uh, and you too. When we come back, the one and only, the legendary Dolores Huerta joins wow. us on getting out the Latino vote. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. This is the Bill Press Show. Hey, friends, thanks so much for listening to the podcast. And we want to make sure that you know about all the other exciting ways to get more exclusive content from The Bill Press Show. We're on Patreon. Did you know that? On Patreon. So to go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash BP show to get videos that nobody else gets. All we ask is five bucks a month and you get access to daily commentary and every week, We put up a special interview just for our Patreon subscribers. Hey, it's a great way to support progressive media and get your hands on some fun, new, exclusive content. Thanks so much for supporting the show by going to patreon.com slash BP show. Everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. It is called the storm of a lifetime. That's what they're calling Hurricane Florence. It is heading to the East Coast, but Donald Trump says, don't worry, I'm in charge. We're ready. <laughs> yeah, if you believe that, run for your life. Hello, everybody. Great to see you today. It is The Bill Press Show. We're coming to you live from our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., And our studio on Capitol Hill with all the news of the day. Yes, indeed. A big primary last night in uh, New Hampshire. Uh, Molly Kelly, the Democratic candidate for governor up there. Chris Pappas, a candidate for Congress after yesterday's primary. Tomorrow, the big primary in New York State. Again, we're keeping our eye on what's happening with Florence. Uh, And also... um, Les Moonves walking out of CBS, can you believe it, despite all those charges? Twelve women now accusing him of sexual assault, and he walks out of CBS with a $120 million golden parachute. I guess crime does pay. Uh, we want to look at a lot of, of the politics of the day, and particularly a very resurgent Latino vote, and nobody better to do that with, and all the other issues affecting immigration. Uh, than the uh, one and only legendary Dolores Huerta, my good friend for a long time, uh, civil rights activist and founder, co-founder of the United Farm Workers. Dolores, it's wonderful to see you. Uh, thank you, Bill. And now I have my own organization, the Dolores Huerta Foundation, and we're doing a lot of civic engagement. Uh, uh, we're also, uh, you know, we've sued our current board of supervisors for lack of representation and one. And uh, we're getting ready well, to file another lawsuit against Tulare County. This is Central Valley, California, which is very yeah. much like Alabama. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. People don't realize that. But, you know, it's so great that you are still, uh, you know, so active and in the forefront of all of these issues. I just uh, I just have great admiration for you for that and a lot of other things. So, mm-hmm. so we've got a lot to talk about, and we want to hear from you and your comments on the news of the day uh, at BP, on Twitter, at BP Show. 
We'll uh, we'll get right back to the news of the day with uh, Dolores Huerta. But first, this the is the full court press. You got it. Just a couple sort of, of other stories <laughs> making news here. If you want to really learn about some of these Trumpers, just ask the people that know them best. A couple of different stories about Stephen Miller, whose childhood rabbi gave a sermon over the weekend and absolutely destroyed Stephen Miller. He called him uh, a purveyor of negativity, violence, malice, and brutality, and accused him of not learning anything that he taught him at Hebrew school. This no. is a story. This is the rabbi? The rabbi talked talk about this. The rabbi's name is Neil Comes Daniels of Beth Sheer Shalom, a progressive synagogue in Santa Monica, California, <laughs> and The Guardian reports on some of the things that Stephen Miller has done. He talks specifically about the child separation policy that the Trump administration mm-hmm. has enacted. And uh, and also, I mean, we now know that Stephen Miller is one of the architects of that. And by the way, Stephen Miller's rabbi is not alone. Laura Ingram, media personality who has been a hardcore Trumper, her brother has been on Twitter talking about just how terrible she is. Again, no. her brother Curtis oh. has been on Twitter, says that what Laura Ingram has said is shameful. He put out a tweet and, uh, saying, My siblings and I are shocked and saddened to learn of these false and hurtful online things that she has said. Uh, so, like, again, if you want to really know who these Trumpers are, yeah. just listen to the people who know them best. Also, by the way, uh, a lot of Republicans are looking to raise money this election cycle. They're not necessarily turning to Donald Trump, but they are turning to George W. Bush. He is scheduled to start raising money for Republican candidates this week, trying to keep the majority in Congress. So remember, whenever George Bush talks about it, you hear stories about how bad George Bush does not like Donald Trump. He wants more Republicans in Congress. I guess that says a lot about the uh, people running for Congress. They'd rather have a war criminal campaign for them and raise money than Donald Trump. I'm wondering, uh, what candidates is he supporting? Is he raising money for Trumpers? be interesting to see his list, right? This is the Bill Press Show. I promise that I will do as good a job uh, in North Carolina and South Carolina with Hurricane Florence as I did in Puerto Rico with Hurricane Maria, which he calls an A+. That's what Donald Trump said yesterday. Yeah. I don't think the people of Puerto Rico are going to recommend to the people of South Carolina that they put any trust in Donald Trump after the disaster we saw there. Hey, hello, everybody. What do you say? Happy Wednesday, Wednesday, September 12. The Bill Press Show live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital. We're coming to you coast to coast on the radio, on television, and online. Online, of course, you can join us all around the world uh, at um, on, on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. We're joining you on the radio out in the greater Chicago area on the great WCPT, the progressive voice of Chicago. And we're joining you on television. Hello, all of you watching on Free Speech TV. Join me in welcoming civil rights activist, head of the Dolores Huerta Foundation, Dolores Huerta here, and co-founder of the United Farm Workers way back with Cesar Chavez in what year? 1962. 
62. Really? Mm-hmm. 1962. So good to see you, Dolores. And you're still just charging and 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 uh, out there in front on so many issues. Let me ask if I can. I mean, you're from California, but you keep your eye on what's happening nationwide. It looks like that there's a, something happening in Texas. Uh, yes, it looks very promising. It looks like uh, Beto O'Rourke uh, just might be able to take that Senate seat, and we're hoping it happens. We know that Texas has a handicap because uh, they have a very archaic voter re- registration system, you know, the one that we got rid of in California back in 1963. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, so people find it a little difficult to register to vote because they have to find a deputy registrar somewhere. Uh, but I think that I, I hear that people are really registering at large numbers, and right now the polls show that... Uh, Beto O'Rourke, I believe, is like one point mm-hmm. away from uh, Ted Cruz. So there's a good possibility that uh, the Democrat uh, might take that seat, that Senate seat. Would that that be amazing? That right? really would. And of course, the Latino vote is very crucial. That's what and, I was going to ask mm-hmm. you about in Texas, right? And it, it could be, people have been talking about Texas making Texas blue again, mm-hmm. right? And it will be if it happens, the Latino vote. Right? Yeah, and it's always been very difficult in Texas because you know they had a poll tax way back when, and people were. Uh, punished if they voted. And so you still have a lot of that kind of suppression and mentality that exists in Texas. And, and we're hoping that <clears throat> people will be able to over- overcome that and, and get out there and vote. It will definitely make the difference because <clears throat> you got at least 40% of the population of Texas that happen to be Latinos. And they can make an incredible amount of difference. And when we see uh, everything that uh, Trump has been doing against the Latino population, not only the DREAM Act, uh, uh, the detention camps that they're now uh, proposing, you know, to keep, they're going to keep families together, but they're going to keep them interned in detention camps. And then the latest one, uh, well, you know, they've done this against the Latinos in the military mm-hmm. who, who were supposed to get the citizenship when they served, and they, now they're being deported. And the latest um, calamity, I call it, <clears throat> is that they are now taking people's birth certificates away from them. What? Because, really? Uh, yes, because on the, uh, along the Mexican border, so many people had their children delivered by midwives. And oh, now when people oh. are going to get their passports, they're taking away their now their citizenship papers because they're saying that maybe these midwives falsified uh, the documents, you know. And they say it's going to affect about 60,000 people along those uh, border places like Brownsville, all those places along the Mexican border. I mean, I was delivered by a midwife. I was born <laughs> in the state of New Mexico. And and I, you know, but that was the custom back in the day because uh, you know yeah, people didn't yeah. have money, or they didn't have access to doctors, and mm-hmm. uh, so I mean, it just uh, when you think of uh, the temporary protective status that has been taken away from people from El Salvador and the Caribbean, all of these of uh, the Haiti, all of these people that you know got the temporary protection status because of uh, of the wars in Central America, uh, and you know Trump is. Uh, has uh, done away with many of this uh, these protection. And so here you have this continual war on people of color, and especially Latinos. I mean, the insults that he has uh, oh, yeah. been out there, it just it, it goes on and on and on. And you just wonder, what more can he do? You know, what more can he do uh, to disrespect and to harm? Of course, we know about Puerto Rico. You know, they're saying anywhere between 3,000 and 5,000 people that were killed there. Uh, because of the storm, because they didn't uh, get the necessary help that they needed uh, when that hurricane hit Puerto Rico. So it just uh, seems like his war on the Latino population. So uh, right now, only 48% of Latinos vote uh, compared to almost 60% of the African-American vote. 
Uh, but we're hoping that uh, this will be different. We know that uh, in Florida, for instance, you have a lot of the displaced Puerto Ricans uh, mm-hmm. from the from the island uh, that came to Florida to you know to escape, but well, the ruin that was there. And so we're hoping that they will really come out. And you know, we have a good candidate running over there, Andrew Gillum. Yes, who won the yes. primary, the mayor of Tallahassee, and we're very very excited about the possibility that he might be able to win and he would be the first African-American governor of the state of Florida. What? So the, I was thinking back while you were talking because you and I were both involved in California. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I remember right around when we first met and I was working with Jerry Brown um, and uh, Cesar was very close to Jerry. They were good friends and, and, and as, as were you. And how difficult it was, I ran a couple of, Voter registration drives mm-hmm. in East Los Angeles mm-hmm. with um, UFW right. farm worker uh, volunteers, mm-hmm. and it was tough to get people to register mm-hmm. because they didn't trust having anything to do with the government, mm-hmm. right? And then Pete Wilson came along right. <laughs> with Prop One Eighty Seven, and people responded, the senior community particularly, by saying, "We've got to get involved in politics." Right. And now look at the. You know, Antonio Villaraigosa and Art Torres and Kevin DeLeon. I mean, you could go on and on, right? Javier the, Becerra, who's our Javier attorney Becerra, general. Javier Becerra, yeah, right, our attorney. So mm-hmm. uh, it really made a difference in California. Uh, are people responding that way in other states, in Texas? And it, it, it seems so. Uh, it seems so. I mean, and I've been in Texas several times. You know, I was following the documentary Dolores, which Carlos Santana produced. And so I, was, I spent a lot of time in Texas. <laughs> Then you are seeing uh, that people are very are responding. I think the that's you know 187 made a difference because 187 was a proposition that attacked immigrants and attacked yep. undocumented people, and uh, total anti-immigrant. Absolutely, and people and it, of California didn't like that. Right, and it it, uh, it caused a big reaction, and we have seen the difference in California. We're a very blue state, as you know now, uh, except yeah. for the Central Valley, <laughs> but, but other than that. Uh, and so we're hoping that the same uh, type of reaction will happen in uh, places like Arizona and, and also Texas. Right. So what do you see with when you say that 48% of Latinos who are who are qualified to mm-hmm. vote, right, who, who are, have uh, U.S. citizens, who are, who are registered only 48% vote, um, what do you do to get that number up and what do you tell them? Well, uh, we just, you know, uh, the, I'm on the Board of People for the American Way, and we have a huge project called the Latino Vote. And uh, it's been very successful. We were successful in the state of Virginia uh, mm. when Terry McCullough was running for governor. Uh, the uh, 63,000 63, Latinos voted for the Democratic Party. Terry McCullough won with 53,000 votes. So even though in Virginia yep. there's only 8%, and we saw the same thing again with Governor Northcamp, uh, when he was elected, and then some of the uh, legislative races also. So we know that the Latino vote can be very effective. It definitely is in California, and hopefully in Texas it will make a difference. When, and so People for the American Way is, you know, we're doing a lot of work uh, in this area. We're uh, doing a lot of videos, and uh, we're doing, you know, actually going out there uh, physically uh, to kind of, you know, motivate people to come out and vote. So it's a very successful program. And do people see, uh, when you talk to them, that there is a difference between the Republican Party's approach to immigration and the Democratic Party's approach to immigration? I mean, it's sort of like one is on your side and the other is waging war against you. Exactly. And I think people are, well, people are feeling that because, you know, we have a lot of mixed families, you know, where 
Uh, you know, you have people that, uh, like my family, you know, we've been here for generations and generations. I was, you know, from New Mexico. So you mentioned, I, right. Yeah. And so, but even in my own family, you know, my, my, my son has married as, as an immigrant and uh, who is now waiting to, you know, uh, get her status uh, completely completed. So she's already got her applications and, and everything. So you have these mixed families and everybody either has a relative or a neighbor or somebody that they know. Uh, that is an undocumented person or somebody that's, you know, in the pipeline to get their citizenship. So it becomes very, very personal. And uh, so many these attacks have been so hurtful. And, you know, the, our children, uh, when they attack Mexicans uh, the way that uh, the president, uh, I mean, these the children get affected. I mean, I have had so many uh, parents tell me that their child has, con- even if they're citizens of the United States, they say, are we going to get deported? They really, come up to their really. parents yeah. and say, "Are we going to get to part?" And then abuse on the school ground because they happen to be, uh, you know, um, Latinos, and or if they happen to be uh, Arabs, and you know, kids come, coming up to people of Arab descent and calling them terrorists. And, you know, we get these reports. We're, uh, my organization, we're doing a lot of work on education, so we deal with a lot of parents and a lot of mm-hmm. students, and they come up and they tell us these stories of the abuse that they face, and this is all coming from. The White House and the license that people are getting to uh, go out there and no, it's coming from the very top. You Mm -hmm. know, yeah, it's the Attorney General and the President, particularly using this kind of language. One of the things that Donald Trump talks about all the time as an evil is, and you you mentioned families and 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 the Latino people, you know, are very family oriented. Mm -hmm. That he always talks about chain migration. Chain. Mm -hmm. What What's the real story on? Chain migration. Why well, I think he's talking about his own kids. <laughs> <laughs> well, and his in-laws. Right, right. Right, yeah. Yeah, well, they consider that if someone, uh, a child that is born here from an immigrant or an undocumented person. And, uh, and I mean, but, you know, at the, at the bottom of that is really racism because uh, in his own, Trump's own family, you know, he has married uh, several immigrants uh, yes. uh, that, yeah. that have come into this country and had their status. And Melania brought her parents here, <laughs> and they're now they became citizens under this. Fa- it's really family reunification. Right, right? exactly. <laughs> Not chain migration. Yeah, and they kind of forget the history of the United States. Again, we're, we have to constantly remind people that we are a country of immigrants, right? Constantly remind people of that. Yeah. Um, do, you, do you find Latinos and Latinas are not just now interested in registering to vote and voting and getting involved, but actually running for office too? Oh, yes, we see that. Of course, you know, we have a lot of women that are running this time around. I mean, it's you know, so hundreds of women. To talk about. Yeah. No. <laughs> but among those, among those women are a large number of Latinas. We have uh, Latinas coming running in the state of California and the state of Texas and, and of course, in other, in other states and uh, Native American women that are running for office also. And, of course, I'm going back to Andrew Gillum, who will be yes, the first right. governor, uh, the first governor of uh, African-American governor of Florida when he wins. So Now, you come from a district. Uh, you live in Bakersfield, California. Yes. <laughs> uh, represented by Kevin McCarthy. <clears throat> uh, I don't blame you for that. Uh, and then right up the road, I, I, the one I get asked about more often than this morning, I had a couple of emails from people saying we were talking about members of Congress and people emailing saying, just tell us that Devin Nunez is in trouble. Just tell us that we can defeat Devin Nunez. Any chance of that in California? Well, there's it's, it's hope there. Uh, but, he's Right and, now, he's just a couple of points. I mean, the person who's running against him, uh, who was a, a, 
a uh, an Asian gentleman. Uh, he's uh, he's a prosecutor, <clears throat> and it looks like he has a good chance of winning. He's a couple of points behind uh, Nunes right now, but there's a lot of people that are coming into the Central Valley, people from the Bay Area, from uh, San Francisco and Oakland that are coming down there knocking on doors. And, you know, I think the, the more that Nunes tries to, I think, uh, you know, defend Trump and also doing some of these kind of almost illegal, illegal activities, you know, of giving Trump information about what mm. uh, the congressional uh, committee uh, yeah. that is supposed to be investigating what's happening. He gives them, you know, information, which is not, he's not supposed to do. Uh, so I think right now people are, he's really definitely a target. We know that he has a, a conservative district. It's uh, Tulare County in California, so it's a very conservative district. But we're hoping that enough people get disenchanted. Uh, so many of those people that voted for Trump will, will get disenchanted with Trump. And I think finally now uh, that, as you know, now we have the new book that's come out by uh, Bob Woodward, that people will just see that this president just lies all the time. And and the fact that he doesn't even respect veterans. You know, the, I mean, when McCain... Uh, did not want Trump to come to his funeral. I mean, what is that? That's a big, huge statement uh, because, you know, he disrespected uh, Senator McCain, and I think a lot of veterans probably would take that personally. So we're hoping that all of this, you know, gets through to people. The one right. thing I have to say that, you know, in uh, the Central Valley, as you know, okay. the media is very conservative, you know, we have to get more people to listen to your show. <laughs> yes, <laughs> they're in the All Central right. Valley, so right. they can kind of get the truth, you know, because I, down there thank they don't. You. I wish there were a way that we could boom into the Central Valley of California. Mm -hmm. That's always been that it's just a, a, an area of California, very important, and very, uh, you know, the, the farmers mm -hmm. there and everything. Wonderful people live there, but overall. Mm -hmm. It's been out of step with the rest of California. And, and they don't get the information, you know, unless yeah, they have cable the and uh, listen right. to MSNBC or listen to your show. Uh, they don't get uh, the right information. Our nightly news are the crime report, the local crime report. And oh. and uh, you get a very conservative slant on everything that's happening. So it's, it's really... I, I would just wish the people of uh, Tulare County would recognize that Devin, would, that, that Devin Nunez, even if they agree with him if, if re, politically, mm -hmm. that he hasn't been serving the district. He's been serving Donald Trump, you know, back here in Washington. He's just known as a the ultimate Trumper, right? He'll do right, anything that Trump right. does. And that's, that's his focus, not on bringing good, you know, helping the, mm -hmm. the, the, the people who voted for him. But well, in California, as you know. We, on that basis, they would throw him out. But yeah. We have seven districts out there that uh, Obama was out there last yes. Saturday yes. And campaigning with us, uh, these seven uh, Congress people that are running right now. I and think five of them in Orange County, right? Five in Orange County, and we have, I think, three seats in the Valley. Uh, there's a uh, Denham seat uh, by Modesto, Stockton area, and then uh, Valadeo, who was in Bakersfield area in Fresno, and then, of course, Nunes in Tulare County. So uh, we, uh, we're hoping that we can help those who can uh, you know, turn the Congress blue. I like to keep saying, you know, we have to build our own wall. Right. Trump keeps talking about a wall, <laughs> but we need a wall in, in the U.S. Congress of progressive Congress people that can save us. Oh, the other thing, too, you know, we're really concerned. Oh, that's a great concept, right? Yeah. Build a wall to stop Donald Trump. Exactly, right? in the Congress, the U.S. Congress. And, you know, the other concern that we have right now is the census. I, I think you're probably aware that they want to put yes. a question about citizenship on the census. And that is going to, and it's never been on the census ever. You know, they, I think they have it on the long form, which only affects a few people, you know, that, mm -hmm. that get that long form. Uh, but that's going to be 
Uh, what would the impact of that be? I know people are worried about, upset about it, and I've written up against it too, but what do you see the impact you. would be? Well, I, we know, as I said before, we have a lot of mixed families, and, you know, we do a lot of, my foundation, we do a lot of voter registration work, we do canvassing door-to-door, and we're finding that people now are not opening their doors because, you know, they see somebody coming around with a clipboard, they don't know who they are, and we're afraid that 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 question on the census is going to keep people from responding. And uh, we know that every person that does not get counted, that community will lose almost $15,000 per individual. Per individual? Per individual. I think it's 14000 plus. But every community will lose that much money for every individual that does not get counted. So, and I guess, you know, that's Trump's um, uh, modus operandi, you know, fear, you know, always making people be afraid. And this fear because of the ice raids is really going to impact our communities. And so we have to just do so much work uh, between now and uh, uh, April of, of 2020 uh, to make sure people get counted. Right. Yeah, that clearly that putting that question on is a way of instilling fear exactly. in people and in families. Yeah, right. and even and people who were, you know, have the green cards, uh, there's going to be a sense of fear, especially now when we see that uh, that Trump is actually, like I said before, even deporting citizens of the United States because they're questioning their birth certificates. You know, it's a, it, it does create a lot of fear. You mentioned uh, earlier some of the anti-immigrant moves on the part of this administration. I mean, starting with the Muslim ban, mm-hmm. right, uh, getting rid of the Dreamers program, I mean, on and on. And the latest is this zero-tolerance policy announced by Attorney General Jeff Sessions mm-hmm. where we're going to turn everybody back, and that led to the splitting up of the ripping the kids mm-hmm. from their from their parents mm-hmm. and putting some of these kids in these detention centers or the in these cages. Mm-hmm. Um, that was compounded by news yesterday, thanks to Sen- Senator Jeff Merkley, that FEMA, which should be spending all of its money protecting mm-hmm. people and from these hurricanes and helping them recover. Um, gave $10 million to ICE for building more detention centers. Right, and that's outrageous. And I guess... The, the, so I was just going to ask, is this still going on? Are kids still being separated from... Oh, still oh, being kept separate from their parents? There are. And, and the, when you think that you have a... You think a child has been sentenced basic, basically uh, to de- detention or imprisonment, uh, children are, are being sentenced with, with, without doing anything wrong. I mean, this is so outrageous and so cruel. And, you know, a lot of these families that have been coming to the border are coming as refugees, and they should be given refugee status. The other thing, too, is, you know, well, you know, we had We those, don't recognize them as refugees, right? right? No. And, you know, we, we created all those wars in Central America under George Walker Bush administration and the Reagan administration, and we never went back and cleaned up the mess, you know? And so we left a big mess in Central America, and then we wonder why people are coming here to the United States of America, you know, to kind of escape the conditions that we, in many ways, help create. And, uh, you know, we have very, very short uh, uh, memories, you know, of the history of some of the damage that we in the United States did to some of these Latin American countries, especially Central America. And then we wonder why people are leaving there instead of using our resources to help them, uh, you know, kind of solve the issues that they have in, in their countries. And, uh, I mean, it's just when we think of 
you know, I, I spoke to, uh, I was on, at the border with Carrie Kennedy, Senator Robert Kennedy's daughter, mm-hmm. and uh, I spoke to some of the uh, people that are coming up, and uh, one woman told me that her five-year-old son was taken from her when he was asleep. So that child went to sleep with his mother and woke up somewhere else. Oh my God! Without his mother, and uh, you know, can you uh, imagine? And, I mean, and, that kid's affected by that for the rest of his life. Yeah, and this is so traumatic. I mean, yeah. you know, th- th- these children is going to really damage them, you know, for life, as you say, because this trauma uh, cannot be erased, uh, you know, very easily. And and so, uh, the cruelty that uh, President Trump has shown. Uh, to people of color, it's just uh, unfathomable. You know, he just. I I must say that you, um, when you're talking about the history of the United States in Central America, which has really been a history of, uh, of the, you know the, <laughs> treating them like mm-hmm. colonies basically, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And and the United States coming in, sending in the Marines, treating and and protecting the American corporations and and overthrowing their governments, assassinating their leaders throughout throughout Latin America. But we saw it last week with news that representatives of the Trump administration have met, first of all, Donald Trump was talking about invading Venezuela, uh, and then meeting with some military um, generals in Venezuela about plotting a coup against the elected president of Venezuela. Whatever you think of him, this is not the role of the United States, but it continues a pattern in Latin America. That's true. That's true. And and I think all, everything that we're talking about, I think that just kind of creates the urgency uh, for everybody to really get out and vote in, in November. Amen. I mean, regardless of, you know, what people feel, uh, that people need to be protected. And, uh, you know, we see that the, this type of racism, you know, it, it not, does not just affect the, the Latino community or African-American community or the, the Arab community. It really affects every single American and we've got to realize that. And now, of course, now, by the way, one of the things that is happening also in the Central Valley of California, which you know is agricultural, yeah. the people are very upset about the trade policies that Trump oh, has right. put out there because it's hurting the agricultural industry. So, I mean, it's just like a big wake-up call for everyone to realize. And, you know, with uh, Bob Woodward's book, now fear that all of us have to be really uh, terrified of, of this president and what's happening in our country right now. Uh, remember, it's Bob Woodward's book called Fear and my new book uh, called Trump Must Go, the top 100 reasons to dump Trump and one to keep him. Uh, anyhow, that's out as well. Just came out the same as, I call this the companion to Bob Woodward's book. That's wonderful. I'm yeah. glad to see that. We'll, we'll have to really we'll publicize that so yeah. people can yeah. know about Tell your book also. Uh, and by the way, um, I have to ask, our good friend, mutual good friend, Jerry Brown, only has about three or four months left. We're going to miss him, huh? Yes, uh, we are going he's, to miss him. He's, he's uh, done a lot of great things for California. And uh, by the way, we're having a global uh, summit uh, conference in San Francisco. I will be there with the governor. Oh, oh good. Uh, oh, yeah, good. I'm going flying back to to that conference. and On, on climate change. Yeah, yeah. and I, I do want to say one more thing about the People for the American Way. I've been on that board now. Mm-hmm. This is Norman Lear's organization. Yes. And Michael Keegan is the director. And uh, uh, Andrew Gillum uh, was actually uh, worked for us for many years. He's not, of course, not doesn't work for the uh, People for anymore. But he had this program called Young People for and training young people to run for office. And then when they would get elected, they would um, you know, coach them for a whole year afterwards. 
1,200 of these young people are now in public office. Is that right? And I think that's, eight or nine of them great. are in the Congress of the United States of America. That's a great so, record. So, you know, yeah. this is just yes. a building democracy from, from the bottom up. You know, this is, so and I think that- the American way, great organization. Yeah, Normally it gives us hope. friend, too. It's so good to see you, Dolores Weiser. It's so well, great that you're still out there fighting the good fight on yeah, many fronts. Yeah, thank we have to be there. Thank you. And thank you, Bill. And we'll definitely tell people about your book, okay, right. so we can make it happen. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> An inspiration. And when we come back, uh, Abby Livingston is going to join us from the Texas Tribune and talk more mm-hmm. about the Beto O'Rourke race and other things happening in the great state of Texas. Stay tuned. Quick break. We'll be right back. Follow us on Twitter at BP Show. This is the Bill Press Show. And on a Wednesday, September 12, uh, rolling right along here on the Bill Press Show. Good to have you with us today. Uh, yes, in anticipation of uh, Hurricane Florence, uh, Still uh, expected to batter. It definitely will be battering the coast of North Carolina, South Carolina, and Virginia. And um, has some heavy rains and winds all up and down the East Coast. Expected to reach land on Friday about 2 o'clock. And yet uh, we'll, be, we'll be feeling the effects of Hurricane Florence uh, even before that. Because uh, as it gets close to the coast, it's going to be battering the coast with heavy winds, high seas, and uh, a lot and a lot feet of rain, they're calling it, not inches of rain. Uh, and then it finally hits land, and it'll hang around for a few days. So, But Donald Trump assures us he will uh, do as good a job in North Carolina and South Carolina as he did in Puerto Rico, for which he says he should get an A+. Um, back to politics of the day. No state, Uh, I think is more interesting to watch than what's happened for a lot of reasons, always what's happening in Texas, but particularly this year. Abby Livingston is the Washington Bureau Chief for the Texas Tribune, based here in Washington, joins us in studio. Hi, Abby. Hi, thanks for having me. It's good to see you. Now I want to be here. You brought in (laughs) with you a copy of Fear. I was reading it in the car on the way here. Which she is reading. So uh, I just, it's a good chance to, first of all, great book. Uh, Bob Woodward, good friend and a guy you can trust to get the truth and report the facts. And remember, the companion book to Bob Woodward's <laughs> book is my book called Trump Must Go. So Bob Woodward documents the chaos inside of the White House and the fact that there's some people who um, believe, as we learned in that op-ed in the New York Times, that it's their important job to save us from more, to, from do- save Donald Trump from doing more damage than he already's done. My book documents the damage, the 100 reasons to dump Trump already. A lot of them are outlined on the back of the book. So uh, I'm just suggesting go to our website, get both books. Um, go to BillPressShow.com. So, Abby, what's going on in Texas? Is Beto Rourke as good a candidate as people he says he is, and does he have as good a chance as people think? He's good so far. Uh, I think we're going to find out. I think there's still more to be known. Um, I think the big question right now is, does he have a glass jaw? Because uh, I think we're about to see a whole lot of Republican money and television advertising hitting him. And so we will see uh, whether he can take it and whether uh, his seeming strong support can uh, withstand it. So we're we're going to, I think, see a lot of TV ads. He uh, has been arrested twice before, so I imagine mugshots and things like that is going to be all over the Texas airwaves, so we shall soon see. He was arrested for? Uh, there was a trespassing incident at the University of Texas, El Paso, and there was a DUI or DWI, I can't remember which one, but um, it was it was not a good incident, and he has 
He was not. Uh, he didn't rob a bank. No, but the the the, the drunken driving issue was yeah. a serious one, and he has acknowledged it. And so the Houston Chronicle recently outlined it, and it's a pretty serious incident. But he, uh, it, I don't think there was a guilty plea. There was a, out of he he settled it. So um, the Republican money coming in is coming in because they see that Ted Cruz is in trouble, right? So this is this, doesn't this mean that they're spending money in Texas that they didn't think they were going to have to spend in Texas? That is absolutely the story of this cycle in Texas. Um, and I, I've talked a lot about it with folks in the state, because um, sometimes when you're in a state so big, you don't really realize there's a lot going on beyond Texas. And so it's, you know, how many seats are they going to pick up in the House and will the Senate race win? And I, I've, I've argued in several pieces that may not matter in the grand scheme as much as how. So, for instance, not just the Senate race, but there's a potentially competitive race in a safe seat uh, north of Austin uh, held by John Carter. And the Democratic candidate is M.J. Hager, the superstar veteran. And she's raised a ton of money. And so the that race could draw Republican money in that would be spent elsewhere. Same thing with the Senate race. The mm-hmm. money that is being spent in Texas is money not being spent somewhere else. We don't know right. which states yet, um, but there's a chance that even while candidates might lose in Texas, they could bring down seats elsewhere um, and help Democrats take one or both chambers, even just by running good campaigns. Yeah, what's the, the the congressional race you mentioned, Hager, uh, M.J. Hager? Yes. So she was a, uh, a combat veteran, uh, and she was in a crash, and she has several Purple Hearts, and she put out this viral video in June that raised, uh, I about a million dollars for her. And Carter is an, on the Appropriations Committee. He's sort of a kind of a I haven't paid too much attention to him. I have 36 members to cover and he's one of the quieter ones. But when you're on the Appropriations Committee, you should be a really strong fundraiser. And she outraised him four to one. Uh, and that was a big deal in July, but it's an even bigger deal now because she is on television, and I don't believe he is yet. And so there's a wait and see of do, do these ads work? And uh, I mean, this is a deeply Republican district. So, mm-hmm. uh, but again, she could maybe pull money out of two other races somewhere else and win by losing. Uh, back to the uh, Senate race. Uh, what are the current polls show? You know, it depends on the poll, but I think most of them say it's within five points, and many others say within the margin of error. So, uh, uh, you know, there the there have been a number of them, but I think this is tight. How long since the Democrats been elected statewide in Texas? I believe ninety four. I think the last one left in ninety eight. <laughs> really? Yeah. So uh, at one time, we remember we remember Ann Richards and. Linda Johnson, a lot of other statewide Democrats. And the last Senate win was 1988 with Lloyd Benson. So it's been even longer when you think about federal. So it it is, um, this is a state, I'll tell you an anecdote. So I was in San Antonio on election night. And um, obviously all over the- 2016. 2016. It's where the state party apparatus was. And all over the country, you know, clearly there is despair. (laughs) And the mood was not great there. They're, the congressional, local congressional race they lost and Hillary lost, but they were not depressed. And it was because they picked up, I think, four state house seats. They'd flipped Harris. Dem- Democrats. Democrats did. I think they flipped Harris County. I, they flipped Dallas County. So you had all of this low level improvement. And that's what that's basically all that the state Democrats have been wanting is just to start building the film farm team and start building for the future. And they haven't been able to do that because things have been so bad. There's not been a standard bearer. And so this is even before Mr. O'Rourke came on the scene, there was optimism in Texas. Right. 
Um, his strategy seems to be um, getting my pickup and just keep on the road, right? It's very old school and also yet digitally savvy. And so he has driven all over the state. And the metaphor I've used, um, it's very Texas, but uh, I would get really excited as a child when the ice cream truck came to my neighborhood because the ice cream truck never came. And it didn't matter what kind of ice cream they were selling or that I had Bluebell in my freezer. It was that the ice cream cream truck acknowledged me. Uh, That is what O'Rourke has done. And so my hometown of Fort Worth is often overshadowed. Uh, Dallas is the center where politicians come to raise money. Everyone in Fort Worth has seen O'Rourke come through many, many times. It's at least once a month. And that is like every town in the state. He has been everywhere. So there's a novelty factor. 254? 254 counties. Yeah. And he's been to every one of them. uh, Yes. He finished it over the summer. and um, Some of them more than once. Absolutely. And I, I mean, you can see him in his speech, he's very fluent in the state, and he knows of towns that I don't even know of. And he can, I mean, he he has he's now a geographic encyclopedia. And so it is an uh, Democrats in the past used to just campaign in the cities and in the valley and ignore the rural areas. And he drives himself, right? Uh, I mean, he'll often have a staffer with him, and then he live streams it. And so I've encountered supporters who this is their entertainment. They watch his live stream every night of wherever he is, and that's that's what they do. And so. There is a huge cult of personality coming up around him. I, I've I've heard this analogy of the ice cream truck. Right? Oh, okay. when he, well, but maybe <laughs> thanks to you. But when he rolls in, right? That this is what people. It's acknowledging think it's like. that you yeah. are important, and from a town that feels overlooked, that's a really big deal. I, I think it's, it's it, you're right. It's so old fashioned, but then you know when you but then when he's you got add, Facebook Live. When you add Facebook Live to it. Uh, and there was a story that I think a lot of us read last week about he's rolling and he's he needed coffee. Ran out of came to a gas station, whatever. He he said something about I need a cup of coffee. Rolls in a gas station. There's a guy waiting for him yep. with a cup of coffee. Washington right? Post. Yeah, yeah. And so the, I mean, it's here's the here's one of the fascinating things. I I think this is a real race. I'm not prepared to say it's likely he wins. I think Cruz still has the advantage. But if he did win, O'Rourke will blow up the the business of politics because um he is his his campaign is completely different from any other campaign i've ever seen so when i go through his fec reports nobody is really getting rich off of this campaign his biggest expenditure was like four hundred thousand dollars to revolution messaging which is we think was probably buying a bunch of facebook ads but his staff is highest paid staff is under two hundred thousand dollars you look at these other campaigns, and consultants make millions off oh, of Senate yeah. races. Yeah. And so there is, I, I just wonder if that's, some folks will look at this and go, maybe I should run my campaign that way. Is he on television? Does he have uh, paid ads on television? He d- it's a fascinating thing. So he's been pitched by ad makers, the normal suspects in Democratic politics, and he's turned them down. And so what he's done, um, I one of his first ad was uh, footage from town halls that his communications director shot. And I, I'm assuming that they just hired an editor and just spliced it all together. So it's, it's um, you know, some professionals I've talked to here have been critical of the ads. They're good, but they could be a little bit more polished. But, you know, I've talked to folks on the ground. They're like, these ads are amazing. And so it's, it's a different, it, it is a very strange thing happening. But all of this, I will preface, Texas is still a Republican state. So I'm just po- pointing out anecdotes. And so I, I hope it does, it's not interpreted as gospel. You know, the, the, one of the things that's so interesting, I mean, I'm not the first person to make the analogy, but he's a lot like Barack Obama in the sense that like 
how he campaigns is not something that we've seen before, right? Like, it's a new way to campaign. And to your point, it could totally revolutionize how Democratic candidates get out there, even with the ads, right, which by a lot of consultant standards might be choppy or a little messy, right? Like, it really doesn't matter. If they're good, it doesn't matter how polished they are. Do they resonate? Do they have a message? Does it deliver? And it's yeah. clear that they are. Does he take PAC money? No. Uh, there is some controversy. He's attended events that PACs have hosted with him, uh, but he does not take PAC money. So this is uh, very small dollar uh, driven. And so it's it's when he said no PACs, I thought there would be kind of a winking, like maybe a super PAC would come in and he could claim plausible deniability. But he's been emphatic. Don't spend money in my state if you're a super PAC or a PAC. Mm, right. <laughs> uh, it, it, you're right. If he wins, that will totally... It, it will shock the system. and But the, the the thing is, is that not everyone is as charismatic as him, so it may not be a viable no, not everybody operation is capable for... of doing what he's doing. No, that's absolutely right. And Ted Cruz, in the meantime, um, I, I, I mean, I've heard him described as the least likable or the most unpopular member of the United States Senate. Um I kind of like him off the record. Um, okay. I, I can't go any further than that, but yeah, he's... But Okay, but he has burned a lot of bridges, and so not made a lot of friends in the Senate, wouldn't you say? About last spring, I started poking around, and it's one of those things as a reporter I should follow my instincts. But I started kind of just asking around, like, what would it mean if Mitch McConnell had to spend on the Senate race with the candidate who called him a liar in the well of the Senate? Right, and everyone's like, oh, that'll never happen. So I never wrote that story, and now it, that could happen, and I'm feeling like, oh, I should have written that. And so it's it's. The Washington Post had a great story today, and it's basically it's this is a painful thing for a lot of Republicans who have butted right. heads with. Yeah, Cruz. I read that story this morning. Right, that now they're they're t- t- turning around and they don't n- like him. He said some bad things about them. Now he's in maybe in trouble, or at least it could determine control. So they got to save him. So they have to save him, right? So they're spending money in Texas to save uh, to, to and uh, to to save Ted Cruz. Uh, try to save him at any rate. And now McConnell has also announced that he is going to keep the Senate in session for part of October and maybe all of October, which is really for the deliberate purpose of preventing Democrats who need to get out and campaign from being able to get out and campaign. But it's also going to hurt a guy like Ted Cruz. Absolutely. And that's what happened in August. Uh, O'Rourke went on a 33-day tour of the state while Cruz, I mean, I mean, Cruz, obviously came home on the weekends, but O'Rourke was all over the state doing his thing, and the same thing could happen in October, and that was my initial reaction when I saw that report yesterday was, this isn't good for Mr. Cruz. Mm-hmm. No, he's going to... I, in, in that case, I don't know why some of them just say, well, fine, I've got to go out and campaign, but they really feel they have to be here and vote because the people hold that against them, I guess. It's, you know, they're, caught, they're caught in a bind. Well, so one of the interesting things about this is I I think guess my first real campaign was 2008. Nobody back then noticed or cared that McCain and Obama and Hillary missed votes to campaign. And I mean, there were even more senators than that. But it was just well, not they as they were running for president. They were running for president. And so but in 2016, it became a big story around Cruz. And so hmm. I did an analysis of historic historical analysis. Well, when of, he was running for president, it, it yeah. popped up and yeah. it became somewhat of a controversy. But it was not any worse than John Kerry or any of the other folks from past cycles. And so um, but he's got that in his background. And so uh, it could 
if he chose to do that, that is a ready-made television ad. Mm-hmm. And that's that's a hard hit. There's a lot of things in politics that break through, and that's one of them. Right. Um, John Cornyn got in a little snit last week with Senator Cory Booker on the Judiciary Committee over the uh, purloined emails, I guess, right, and the release of those emails and Cory Booker saying uh, he was going to do it even if it violated the rules. John Cornyn just got really on his high horse about how dare he do something like this? Maybe he should be thrown out of the Senate. I, it was quite a morning, and I, it's amazing. I almost don't even remember that anymore because of the amount of info we have coming. It's hard to oh, retain. Yeah, no, it's... But it was a fast. I mean, it was one of those things where lawyers were arguing. I mean, they're both the both men are lawyers, and I yeah. couldn't really tell what they were arguing about. But by their tone of voices, I was like, "Oh no, my morning has just changed." And so I went back, and then I started to process that Booker was saying, "I will." Uh, release these documents that were supposedly confidential within the committee. It turns out maybe they weren't. Cornyn got very angry and was sort of the the leader of the Republican side. And then all the Democrats, and he threatened to expel him. Right. And the Democrats on the committee said, well, if you're going to do this, do me too. And Cory Booker compared himself to Spartacus, which I, <laughs> I went back and watched the Kubrick movie, which I really liked that movie. So it was fun. Well, it was a side of Cornyn I really hadn't seen. He he's one of the most interesting people he's a in my delegation. Prosecutor, isn't he? Uh, he or, is or, an attorney general, former state attorney general okay. um, judge. He was on the Supreme Court. He I never. He's the most unpredictable member. He he really can throw hardball, and the other times he will um, be really magnanimous. And so it's I never know where he's going to come down. So I find him to be really an interesting figure. Okay. Now, you mentioned 36... Uh, 36 House members, two senators. Okay. And, yeah, you, know, you were complaining about that. Let me just point out, from California, we have 54. There you so, go. Well, right, I love so, California, so. too. So. Uh, and uh, are there uh, interesting House seats in... Oh, there are. I'm one of the few reporters who loves the House more than the Senate. So it's it's just beyond exciting for me. So the, the historical context is there's always been... What's the breakdown now? Oh gosh, I always get it wrong. I think it's twenty-five Republicans and eleven D's, but it may I may be off by one or two. Um, well, first of all, that comes up to thirty-six. So, so not... yeah, that's thirty-six House members and two yeah. senators. Okay. So it's somewhere around there. Um, right. Yeah. Uh, um, but th- that doesn't reflect the voting the population yeah. of Texas, right? If you look at the 2014 Senate, I mean governor's race, which was considered a pretty rough year for Democrats, it was. Uh, 40, 60, basically. And that breakdown is about 33, I think. I've done the math before. Mm-hmm. Um, so, no, it's very gerrymandered. And that's what's sort of amazing is there's always been one competitive race. The Texas 23rd, huge geographic district. Will Hurd is the incumbent. He's sort of a rising star in the GOP. Um, but like I said in 2016, the cities really turned against the Republicans. So at the beginning of this cycle, Democrats said, we're going to compete for Pete Sessions' seat. He's the chairman of rules in Dallas. And John Culberson, who's on appropriations in West Houston. And both are kind of similar. They're, they're old money in the city, and then they stretch out into the suburbs. Um, and uh, it has now become... At first, Republicans laughed at this and said, there's no way. Uh, I reported today the Democrats are dropping $2 million in Houston on John Culberson. So this Whoa. is serious. They're, they, they're putting their money where their mouth is. And uh, it, there's now an operating belief that Pete Sessions and John Culberson will probably lose before Will Hurd does. Will Hurd is perceived as in much better shape than these two men. And then there's just another and round. They're veteran Republicans from 
I mean, the two, I don't know them, the two names. I mean, they've been around a long time. Uh, Culberson, I think, is 2000 or 2002, and Pete Sessions was elected in 96. Mm -hmm. So these are men yeah. who not had really serious general elections in at least 10 years. Um, and that's, so Hurd is pretty adept. He's been doing this year in, year out. And these guys have had to, like, learn, relearn modern campaigning. But then there's another tier like John Carter. Um, Ted Poe is retiring. He's got an open seat. There's another tier that could come on the scene if we're looking at like a huge, I hate to use a hurricane metaphor, but that's what the politicians use. If this is a cat five, there could be a whole nother round of seats that get competitive. And they may not lose those seats, but they have to spend money there. Mm -hmm. You just mentioned something I think is really, really important that I think gets overlooked a lot when we talk about these types of races is the modern campaigning. Oh, like absolutely. The way that people campaign now is just completely different than when Pete Sessions campaigned in 1996. Sure. They do have to learn a new way of So did Joe Crowley, for yeah, example. Exactly. He did not learn a new way of campaigning. As you know, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez said, it's the hustle that yeah. made the difference up there. Right. The hustle. And he wasn't hus he hadn't hustled in a long time. And neither is Pete Sessions had to hustle. So if you look back in 2010, um, former Congressman Gabrielle Giffords, everyone assumed she was going to lose re-election. It was mm -hmm. just too hard of a district. She won. I mean, she won. She was, cons I mean, she was sort of like Will Hurd. She was in tune. She had a tough re-election every year, and she knew how to win. But there were older chairmen in Missouri and South Carolina who lost, and they didn't know they had a race until uh, October. And so it's almost easier to take down the people who've been safe forever than the people who have been, quote-unquote, battle-tested. So you would say that... Um Democrats might could maybe flip how many seats in Texas? I'm going to say two, which I think is a pretty conservative guess. Um, but I was just joking with the source. I, I sat down with a Democrat in May and I told him zero. So that says a lot. <laughs> um, but it, it could it could tick up. It depends. I mean, it just feels like the climate is darkening by the day. So I, I don't want to be held to that. But it, it, it I would say if the election was today, probably two, and I'm not sure which ones, but I think that's a safe bet. Do you think Texas will ever turn blue again? I think the question is... Uh, ever? Yes, I do. <laughs> um, because I'm seeing very strange things now. I, I think Donald Trump has made um, specifically white women... There was an intense social pressure when I was growing up to be Republican. That's just what you did. And I, I've written a story about how Beto O'Rourke signs are everywhere in the state. And there to put your that sign in your yard and in some of these neighborhoods, that is not a popular move. Mm -hmm. There one person did it and then another person did it. And now the whole state is blanketed with Beto O'Rourke's signs, at least in the cities. And so I think there that Trump has set off a cultural um willingness to break the social norms in the cities and that people are stepping out. The question that O'Rourke my question for him is um, he we are not seeing a lot of evidence that he is excited for African-Americans and Hispanics. And so hmm. that could be his Achilles heel, heel while he's got I went to a, an event for Hispanics in Fort Worth and two thirds of the people there were white. And so the, I, I do wonder how motivated those constituencies in the Democratic coalition will come through. And maybe they will. I, we just don't know yet. Yeah. Dolores, Dolores Huerta, in the previous half hour, was telling us that she 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 thinks the Latino community in Texas is very excited about Beto O'Rourke. Now, maybe you haven't seen that yet. I, I, and but that's just my lack of reporting. Isn't so. he half? I, I, no. 
His origin is... is it... He is Robert Francis O'Rourke, which okay. every Republican in the state calls him Robert Francis. Um, <laughs> Beto is his childhood nickname, and he's from El Paso, which is predominantly Hispanic, and that is just... That's that's instead of Robbie or Bobby, he's Beto. And so um, there has been some so questions... he's not half Latino? No, he's no. Irish. And he's so, Irish all the way? Yes. Okay, uh, I thought it was... Mexican Irish. His, his mother's okay. Melissa and his father's Pat O'Rourke. And so um, they, uh, they, he has produced a sweater, a, chi- a photo of himself as a child with the with Beto on there because there have been accusations from Republicans that he's... That he just picked it up? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Robert Francis, I've never heard that before. Okay. Beto O'Rourke. What a great half hour. Great to spend Thank some time with you. Thank you for having me. Thanks this so has been much fun. for coming in. Abby Livingston from the Texas Tribune. It's texastribune.org. Yes. And uh, have a great day, folks. We'll be seeing you this tomorrow. This is The Bill Press Show.